We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. Relationships change largely because individual people change. We grow, we change over time, and that individual growth is likely to lead to growth in the relationship, and hopefully you grow together rather than grow apart. I am changing, my beliefs are changing, the nature of the relationship is changing, let's figure out how we can grow together. Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Our guest today is a relationship coach, dating researcher, and author of From First Kiss to Forever, A Scientific Approach to Love, in which she takes the science of love and relates it to people's lived experience in the real world. Here to talk to us today about how to optimize online dating is Dr. Marissa Cohen. So, welcome, Marissa. So glad that you could be here with us. Thank you for having me. So, let's get started with what got you interested in dating. So, I've always been really interested in relationships in general, just kind of what makes some of them successful and, you know, what kind of leads some of them to fall apart. And um, years ago, probably in 2012, I took a continuing education class with um, Dr. Cindy Hazan, who is an amazing, amazing attachment researcher. And at that point, I was just completely hooked. And at the time, I was a full-time professor, and I was tasked with teaching all of the students all of the classes that they had to take for their major, but absolutely hated. So think of things like experimental psychology, research methods, and stats. And I was scrambling for any material where I could get them engaged with the research behind what they were studying. And I would grab from all different areas of psychology. So social psych, educational psych, which is actually what my initial training was in. And the minute I started to talk about relationships, their eyes lit up. They wanted to know the research. They wanted to learn how to conduct the studies. And I was like, there's something to this. And that led me to actually create my lab. And what kind of research do you do in your lab? So the lab is a self-awareness and bonding lab, also known as SABLE. And um, I do research along with my colleagues on early dating experiences as well as consensual non-monogamy. Hmm. How did you go together? <laughs> <laughs> they 
actually, I mean, well, I haven't done a crossover study about early dating experiences with individuals who are involved in consensually non-monogamous relationships, but maybe I should. So <laughs> there's a good, uh, you know, connection there. Um, honestly, a lot of my research comes from questions that either students ask me in class or when I do presentations, just when someone comes and approaches me and, and shares something about their relationship or life and they have a question about it, I'm like, I'll experiment and I'll let you know. Hmm. So. Are there common questions that you get? I mean, what are the ones that you're really pulling pulling from now? Um, I get a lot of questions about people trying to find the one or what they perceive of as the one and the entire dating process. And um, just a lot of like the trials and tribulations of like online dating and early dating experiences. Mm. Let's talk about that. (laughs) We found you because we went to this great presentation that you did on online dating. And I think part of the presentation was about how to optimize your dating profile mm-hmm. and you included some other things um so so yeah so tell us a little bit about dating apps and how they've impacted our culture <laughs> dating apps are amazing and also the worst thing in the world it depends who you talk to and what recent experience they've had um but no matter how you feel about online dating it's very clear that it has kind of changed the course of courtship um i It's kind of challenging to figure out in terms of how online dating has impacted how satisfying relationships are because I don't think that they inherently change relationships. They impact more so how people connect with one another and how people meet one another. Um, And a lot of research really points to that online dating has actually led to more successful marriages or marriages that are least likely or less likely to break up. Oh, really? And they think that the reason behind that is that because there's so much choice when it comes to online dating, uh, two things. One, people are waiting longer before getting married, which is also just kind of like a, something happening with the cohorts going through online dating now. And beyond that, there's so much choice. So people are being more selective about who they want to go out with. So hopefully finding better matches, more suited to them. Do you know how many um, relationships that start online actually end in marriage or like what percentage of new marriages are the result of online dating? I think it's something like the last like poll I saw was like one in five Americans report that they have tried online dating. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as marriages, I'm not sure. But even while the stigma is decreasing, it's still there, unfortunately. So there are a lot of people who just don't report that they met online. And in fact, I've been to a couple of weddings where the toasts were were changed to describe how they met each other in college when they met each other on a website. So, really? so, so yes. lying. Yeah. Actually lying. Oh yeah. Actually wow. lying. So there's still a lot of stigma around yeah. online dating. I mean, you know, other people that were there at the wedding were like, oh great, they met each other in college. And we're sitting there like, no, he didn't go there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's still stigma. 
Mm. So I feel like the stories that I hear about online dating like really run the gamut. Like you hear about like I've got, I went on one online date and I met my husband, and then you also hear stories where people can't even get a match, can't mm-hmm. even get on a first date. So what accounts for success? What accounts for failure? I know this is a big question, <laughs> <laughs> but tell us some of what you found. Well, I wish I can tell you that there was like some sort of scientific equation, and I'm like, I need to go on this many dates on this website and then you'll meet a person who matches you with this percent accuracy and you'll be married for this long but unfortunately we can't boil it down to such a science um there are parts of online dating that you can kind of think in terms of a scientific lens so for example like the algorithms the algorithms have vastly improved i mean i was like one of the early adopters of online dating and like now they're very very advanced did and online dating work for you it did, it did. <laughs> i have a husband online wow <laughs> um but I've been on pretty bad dates from people that I met online. So some, some wonderful, some, I, I'm one of those people that kind of, it ran the gamut, like as you say. Um, so when it comes to the algorithms, they're very, very good at predicting who you're likely to get along with. So um, I always advise people that if you're on one of those sites, like not the swipe-based sites, although now some of the swipe-based sites have built in uh, quizzes, but if you're on one of those profile-based sites and they give you a bunch of quizzes or things that you can kind of do in addition to your profile, fill them out because the more information that you have on there, the more they're able to pull from when determining the percentage you know, match that another person is mm. for you. And the kind of questions they're asking are things like values, beliefs, yeah. interests, yep. and that works. Yes, yes. Um, that is, of course, provided that a person is being truthful about what their values, beliefs are. And I think that, you know, sometimes people aren't intentionally lying, but there is a self-awareness piece that kind of comes along with dating. And that's something that I think just kind of takes time to build. So some people might enter the online dating world having a really clear sense of who they are and what they're looking for, whereas others might be presenting themselves in kind of like a different way. Like this is what they think they want or this is how they think they want to live their life, but in actuality, that's not the case. Or this is what they think the other person wants from them. Yes. It's like those college roommate, uh, you know? Right. Right. So you're talking about some psychological factors, mm-hmm. right? That people can f- should fill out these extra questions that talk that speak to beliefs and values, um, and then that will optimize their chances of meeting somebody that they're more likely to get along with or more aligned yes. with. And I'm curious, are there like so many of the online dating profiles are so visual? Mm-hmm. Like you know, some of them like Tinder. It's like all pictures. I don't know. Some people don't even write anything. Right. Right. Um, so I'm curious if there any like tips and tricks or anything you would recommend in terms of how you present yourself visually that can be a very like difficult process for a person and it can also kind of take like a lot of the fun out of dating where you when you feel that it's just so focused on looks but you know we are visual creatures and um in fact you know across the board websites have shown that the minute you post a photo you're likely to get so many more hits 
And you know, it also makes sense, even not you know thinking about a person's attractiveness, but also you want to have a sense of who is that other person on the other end of the computer, whether it is their actual picture or not. It kind of gives you like a window into who that person is. But um, to speak to your point about like what you can do in terms of pictures, um, I would say if you can incorporate pictures that somehow show what's important to you or an aspect of your personality. So, you know, you don't want to go with like those corporate headshot photos where it's kind of just devoid of any character and that's kind of how, you know, they aim them to be. But something if you're, you know, a person who loves to laugh, if you're laughing in some of the photos, um, you know, if you're very into animals, having photos with your dog or your cat. Uh, in fact, research has actually shown um, that men who have, who have photos with puppies get a lot more hits than men who don't. Hmm. And they think that a lot of that is because of that like nurturing, like you yeah. attach that to like nurturing. But of course, if you don't actually have a dog or like dogs, don't steal one for the purpose of the False photo. advertising. Like, right. don't your <laughs> is the same true for women? They didn't did find that. No, no not statistically significantly different just for males. I wonder what are the, the popular attributes are that men look for in women. Mm. If women are looking for nurturing or warm or whatever that might be. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I know that for men, and, and for some reason I can't think of women off the top of my head, but a big one for men was photos where they're kind of sitting up straight and have their shoulders back because it kind of exudes like pride and confidence. That was something that was very attractive. And I believe there is some research that shows that if you're going to pick a side of your face, though, this would arguably be different for certain people that have a very clear preference for one reason or another. But um, the right uh, hemisphere of our brain is what processes emotions. Mm. So um, to show just like one side of your, your face, it's actually better to show the left side of your face. Oh, Fascinating. Yeah. I think you speak to also an interesting point around the balance between kind of really being authentic and showing mm -hmm. your true colors and kind of coming through versus this kind of idea of branding and selling yes. yourself and, and standing out from like a sea of other people. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you walk that line? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I remember someone telling me that, you know, we are all our own personal brand and it's kind of how people perceive us. And that's kind of like a tie into a lot of like my academic research on early dating experiences about, you know, well, we're so interested in how other people perceive us to determine whether or not a date is going well and if it's likely to lead to a second date. So perception, unfortunately, is everything. And these are decisions that we're making. What is the message I'm trying to send? And what is the message you're reading from me, from my profile? So that can lead a lot of people to want to just shy away from online dating altogether, feeling like, you know, it's almost like, you know, like hashtag relationship goals or you're trying to present a vision of yourself. And I feel like for people who are not really enjoying the process or experiencing dating fatigue, I just say, represent yourself, be true to who you are, because if you're trying to sell this vision of yourself and someone latches on to that, you're not going to be happy with that person anyway, if it's not truly who you are. Mm, that makes sense. Another thing that comes up around um, online dating, at least with some, some clients that I've met with, is this idea that it can feel really, really overwhelming mm -hmm. because it seems like there's this infinite pool of people out there, which you were speaking to, and 
they go on a date and the date is perfectly nice but then it's like but is there something better is there something different would i be you know it's just like it gets confusing um, and you did an interesting thing in the presentation that we saw where you were uh taking some data around your own dating experience and kind of did some statistical analysis to boil down like wh how many people are there actually in your dating pool it's not you know millions it's right. in the hundreds yes yes so that actually came from the Drake equation and the Drake equation, I believe was initially used to figure out how many civilizations there are in the Milky Way galaxy that are capable of supporting extraterrestrial life. <laughs> <laughs> so the Drake equation was a white paper, uh, was originally an equation to figure out, um, you know, how many aliens are out there. And, um, this amazing guy in the UK and his name is escaping me at the moment, but he actually adapted that to figure out how many people were in his dating pool. And uh, I wanted to kind of do the same thing, just to kind of figure out like how many people am I dealing with? And it wound up starting, cause you know, I was looking for someone that was in New York City because you know, as much as I would like to say that I'm open to people across the country, realistically, it'd be very hard to kind of continue dating a person when I'm just so busy and in a million different places in New York as it is. So I started out with, I believe it was like 8.25 or something around there, million men or million people in New York City. And then it kind of whittled down to a pool of 111 men. Wow. Tell us what some of your filters were. Yeah. So you would think when you're like 8.2 million to like 111, like she's got to have this like crazy list of like, you know, things that, that she wants. Um, it really, I was pretty open. <laughs> I was pretty open. So um, this was from when I was online dating and these were the real parameters that I was putting on the site. And full disclosure, I was on like every site at the time. <laughs> um, what year I, was this? Uh, so I'm trying to think of like when I first started online dating was like around 2011. Okay. So this is like pre-Bumble, pre-Tinder. Um, that's how I always date myself with my students. And they're just like pre-Tinder. There was a time. <laughs> um, this was, I was on, <laughs> I was on uh, Match, um, okay, Cupid, J-Date, where I met my husband. Shout out to J-Date. Um, <laughs> but, but um my parameters are pretty much finding a male who was, uh, you know, around my age at the time. Uh, and I was in my like mid twenties and I kind of had like a big like range too. Like it wasn't like he had to be exactly my age. Um, I was looking for someone who, if you look at like the um, demographics of New York City, like when I was actually doing this equation, I was looking for someone who was 5'8 or taller. And that's simply because I am 5'9. That is not, you know, it's just, it's a matter of me feeling uncomfortable when I'm towering over another person. It makes me self-conscious. It has nothing to do with the other person. That's my own insecurity. Um, I was looking for someone who was Jewish just so they share the same faith that I do. Even though I'm not religious, it might be important in the future for family and all that kind of stuff. And um, I was looking for someone who was college educated because I've been in school forever and I'm still in school. So someone has to understand that drive in academia. And that's that's what took me down to 111. 111, wow. which is nothing. Yeah. That's not that many. Which totally breaks this conception that there's infinite matches. Yeah. I actually think that piece of, it's kind of a wisdom too, <laughs> to know that there's not so many people. You have to really be thoughtful actually right, about right. who you're sitting across from on a first date. It can both be really 
really comforting in a way and, and also right motivate people to be more thoughtful. And it can also be kind of depressing, right? And scary. And scary because yeah. it's like, what if I don't meet? like one of the 111 people right it's almost like a needle in the haystack kind of thing and if you think of how a lot of the dating sites are again i was there before the swipe based dating sites but um they had like all these questions i remember like on the upper right corner where you can filter by um you know type of degree that they would have and um how much money a person makes and you know body type and hair color and i mean you can wind up really kind of picking every little factor of this person which you know to me kind of takes some of the excitement and mystery out of it and also at that point i can't even imagine you'd be left with one right and sometimes people can be surprised about who they end up with that they may think that they want one Mm -hmm. thing but actually they end up with somebody who's very different so there is also a danger in having too many parameters right right like what exactly are your non-negotiables like you really need to think about that and in fact um you know i played around with because like personally i'm not very religious so i was playing around with either like not religious or jewish and um you know, because to me, it really didn't matter as long as a person wasn't going to say, like, I go to church every Sunday. I want to, you know, have a Christmas tree, although that sounds wonderful, but that's just not my faith. So it's you have to kind of think about what's important to you now, but also what might eventually be important to you in the future when you have a family, if you choose to have a family. Right, right. So really taking the time to consider, yeah, what's really important, but like, what are these parameters that are too extreme right. that are actually making you miss maybe a lot of opportunity? And there are some people who are thinking about that when they you know, embark on their whole online dating adventure. And then there are some people that are just having fun swiping through photos. Yeah. So it's kind of like a mixed bag and you just don't know how serious everyone else is on the online dating site. Right, right. Something that comes up a lot is around once you match with someone, the kind of conversations that unfold and the challenge of coming up with something interesting and kind of getting to know a person before you meet with them, but then also having this process by which the conversation just sort of peters out and Mm -hmm. you never end up meeting someone. Right, right. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that and kind of how, how we should be thinking about conversations before a date right and i think that the reality is that most people that are dating online are probably speaking to multiple people at any given time so one healthy viewpoint to kind of adopt is that if someone winds up just kind of ghosting or like not talking to you anymore not taking it so personally and thinking about like what is it something like what did i do or is it something i said or something from my profile that rubbed them the wrong way and it might just be kind of circumstantial where the person um just kind of wound up getting more serious with one of the other people they were talking to at that given time um And as far as like, you know, what the early conversations are, it's whatever you're comfortable sharing, but I definitely feel like you should kind of make that push to go from the platform to real life. Because while those algorithms are very, very good at determining who we're likely to get along with, there's something in and above those factors that we kind of put into the profiles that they can't quite suss out. And that's like however you want to call it, like the spark, that compatibility, like that's what you can only really get from 
understanding and interacting with a person, getting to know that individual's personality. So I'm a big proponent of couple of exchanges back and forth, let's meet in real life. Mm. I'm also curious what you think about, so like once um, someone meets a potential partner in, they go on a date, right, in real life, and then they're kind of like, that, that was fine, but not super interesting. Should they move on to the next person? Or like, how many dates should you give it before you decide if a person might might be worth pursuing or, or might be worth you sticking around? That's such a good question. Um, and I think it's kind of challenging to say. I definitely feel like you should give it more than just the first date because with the first date, you have all of those nerves, those jitters, and you might both people might not be presenting themselves in the best light because they're so nervous. Um, however, what's interesting is that a lot of like what used to happen on first dates, just getting to know you kind of stuff, you know, who like where do you live and where do you work and tell me about your interests. That's happening online now. So by the time you like get to the first date, you're already in a much more intimate space where you're like digging deeper because you've had these conversations already or you've read the person's profile. Or you've done a thorough Google search. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you've played internet sleuth already and like you found right. Instagram, like everything. Everyone's <laughs> a detective now. Yeah. Um, so it's like you're already kind of like in this more intimate space. So it's almost like you've jumped to like magically like third date, fourth date. So I feel like you should give it one or two additional dates. But if you're not feeling it, don't force it. But then on the other side of that, just to kind of speak to something you were saying before, is that with so much choice in online dating, it's kind of leading to this phenomenon of yo-yo dating, which I, I love these terms that they come up with, like a new one every day, where it's. You're going into a relationship, going back online, going back into the relationship, going back online. So like yo-yoing mm. under the impression that there's always going to be someone better out there for you. And people, I mean, that might be true in some cases because maybe they weren't with someone who they thoroughly, you know, if they were really compatible with them. But on the other hand, it might kind of keep you from being in the present moment and not really digging deep with that person and trying to get to a more intimate space because you are constantly questioning the relationship. How do you help singles who aren't interested in online dating, who really want to meet somebody in the real world or maybe are scared by online mm -hmm. dating? I mean, I know people who don't feel comfortable meeting with a total stranger they haven't seen in person before. Right. And like, not that I'm trying to scare anyone, but you know, you do hear stories sometimes that are like quite upsetting that have to do with online dating. And you know, there are people who misrepresent themselves. People do lie. It doesn't even need to be in like some sort of like major way where we're like catfishing a person. But people might be misrepresenting themselves to try to get better matches or, you know, try to make connections with people. So it is happening. And, um, you know, I, people shouldn't do anything that they're not comfortable with. Uh, I usually try to talk to people to kind of get a sense of like, what is it about online dating that's bothering you to kind of find if there's like a workaround to it, or maybe it's just misapprehensions they have about the world of online dating, or maybe it was one isolated experience that isn't necessarily going to repeat itself. So I try to figure out from people like, where is this kind of stemming from this apprehension? Um, 
And if they don't want to do it, and if they're like adamant about it, they really shouldn't do it because then they're not going to really give themselves to the process or they're going to kind of go to each date like this isn't going to work out. I'm not. And if you're not approaching it in the right way, because you are going to be disappointed, it's not not many of us, there are people out there, but there aren't many of us who sign on to a dating site and the first person that chats with us is a person that we wind up with. Right. So, you know, it's not going to be instant gratification most likely. So if you don't want to do it, you shouldn't force yourself into that position. Right. Right. I think the dip, the challenge is, is that it can be really hard to find other avenues mm-hmm. given the popularity of online dating. And I feel like I work with a lot of clients who really don't like it, but it's like, that's the only option they have and kind of being able to think about kind of going back to these old traditional (laughs) archaic methods of meeting people, which is, I think has affected, I mean, dating apps have affected that. Right. Um, So what are ways that you think about kind of like thinking about other ways of meeting people? Right. Well, I mean, as you say, kind of online dating has replaced a lot of the older methods to an extent. And to be completely honest, I was out at a bar a couple of months ago and I was looking around at all the people that were sitting around the bar. I was waiting for a group of friends and they were sitting on their phones. Some were kind of checking emails, but there was kind of this pull to our phone. But there were other people that were swiping on the dating site while sitting in a bar by themselves. And it was with everyone else swiping. Um, But I try to tell people that I think it feels less contrived because a lot of people that have issues around online dating is that they feel it's too forced and um, they want something to kind of ease into the process rather than like, I want to date you, you want to date me. And they might be uncomfortable around that that scene Um, is to just kind of do something around their interests. This way, even if they don't meet some someone through it, they're building their friend circle. Um, and they're also doing something that's going to help them and make them happy. So I mean, in New York, there are tons of options like intramural teams, go to like classes. Just if you're into learning, they have like lots of great cheap classes that you can go to, you go to comedy shows. And I think just kind of like opening yourself up to people who share similar interests as you is helpful. And I love this idea too. I think like this is sort of something to be learned for everyone because I think being busy, especially living in New York, it's like actually interests oftentimes take a back burner. Mm. And so you're working, you're seeing friends, maybe you have kids, maybe you're you're just involved in so many things that oftentimes we don't pursue our interests. Right. Like pottery or taking photography, like these things really get sacrificed. So it's it can be a really beautiful opportunity, not just to find someone, but like really like cultivate these parts that go hidden or missing for a long time. Right, it could definitely lead to personal growth. And I love this idea you mentioned about like, kind of be like your attitude mm-hmm. contributes to your success and being open. It's like if you're closed to other people, even if you're going to a retreat or you're going somewhere else, like you're not going to bring people into your life. Right. And so your attitude about being open and optimistic 
opens more doors and opportunities. Oh, I completely agree. Cause like dating becomes a full-time job after a while, especially if you're approaching it as like, I need to answer every message or I need to see every single profile. But I mean, a lot of these sites too, if you're not active, it's a way to kind of get you back engaged in the process because a lot of these websites also make money by keeping you there longer. So yeah. they're always sending, someone's looking at you, you have a crush, which may or may not be true. It could be a clever marketing scheme, but it can feel like very laborious and you know sometimes when you are trying to be in that position where you're like I'm going to see as many people as possible to kind of you know cast my net wide and figure out what I want people experience dating fatigue like it's very real because you're spending all of your time with people and not with your friends or not with like your interests and you might be lucky and meet someone but if your head's not in that space don't force it and then you can't really if you're if your head is not in that space or you're experiencing dating fatigue burnout you can't really tap into your intuition mm, right and it's like you're in this it's almost like that's more of an anxiety space where you're you know, how many dates check can them I get? The check list. them off the yeah. list. I mean, I've heard of people making Excel spreadsheets of, you know, people that they've met. Oh, I know people who have qualities. done that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that just, it seems like then a lot gets missed in terms of intuition. Right. right. And trusting yourself. Trusting yourself. Yeah. yeah. We invite you to spend the next few moments just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N-O-N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. So now that we, you've been matched up with someone and you start to date someone, how do you know when you're dating someone that's a, a good fit? Or how do you tap into that intuition? <laughs> right, like where is that, you know, that personality match and whether or not you're likely to go from a first to second date. So actually one of my first studies that I did as part of the lab was um, perceptions of first date success. Because it's that during that first date where our anxiety is at an all-time high, we're trying to get to that highly coveted second date, and we're trying to figure out, well, is this person sitting across the table, are they interested in me or are they not interested in me? Because, you know, I'm trying to send my own message about my interest in them, but I'm also trying to read from them to gather whether or not this date is going well or not. And um, one of my first studies was focused on, I believe it was a little over 300 people who were um, all heterosexual. They were single at the time, well, predominantly single at the time. And I gave them a list of like 30 different behaviors or um, things that can occur either before, on, or shortly after a first date. 
So things like the date hugs you when he or she sees you. The date shakes your hand when he or she sees you. Mm. Um, the date calls you back right away. The date waits two days to call you. The date never calls you back. So like uh, the whole spectrum of like what can happen. And you know, on there I had things about like who would pay for the first date, how, what the conversation would focus on. And um, I found some really, really interesting gender differences. And um, in fact, we tend to fall, and this is amongst heterosexual couples and early dating experiences, we fall along very gender stereotypical lines when it comes to early dating. So for example, um, women infer interest when the man is the one who's initiating, so he's taking the lead. So things like he offers to pay, he calls to um, initiate the second date shortly after the first date. Like they kind of want the men to take the leader role and that's communicating to them, I'm interested in you because I'm taking this role. Hmm. Something that was really interesting that communicated interest to men was that women spent a lot of the first date talking about herself. Oh, wow, surprising. Yeah. Yeah. You would think it would be the opposite. Right, yeah. like very interested in him wanting to talk about his you know, life. But um, Why I do you think that is? I surmise that it's because it's indicating that I'm comfortable enough with you to let my guard down and go beyond the surface. So some other things that um, men viewed as signaling interest were if the conversation um, started to discuss sex, um, men inferred interest if the woman offered to split the cost of the check, which I thought interesting. So there's a clear mismatch. Women are waiting to, for the men to pay. Men are waiting for the women to split. Oh, um, and the most interesting thing that I found was that, you know, women had a bunch of things that they were like, this shows that he's not into me. Like one of them was he waits a few days before calling you back. Another one was he never calls you back, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another one was that um, I think he shakes your hand when you're leaving rather than going in for a hug or something. So that's <laughs> very weird. <laughs> very great date. Nice to meet you. Yeah. So like women had a lot of things that were signaling like, I'm not interested. We're not getting to the second date. Men, 30 different behaviors, nothing. Nothing signaled no interest. What like do you make of nothing. that? So do they not ever think that a woman is disinterested? <laughs> Are they always assuming that so, she wants a second date? <laughs> yeah. So like that, and I've presented this a couple of times at like academic conferences and then also at like more general like talks. And people are like, you know, that's that's recent. Like, oh, so he always thinks. I think there's a cute picture I have actually of Homer Simpson and Marge, and he says, like, you'll always love me, or like, I'll always think you love me. So is it kind of like that situation? And on the one hand, it could be that are the men just like blissfully ignorant, just missing the signs, like she doesn't call you back, she doesn't return your call, she never speaks to you again. Yes, one of them was she never speaks to you again. So <laughs> <laughs> no misinterpreting that. <laughs> I. Honestly, think that this goes back to what I was saying before and like how online dating has shifted the entire courtship process. I think that this is just a healthier attitude that men are adopting, and it's not about them missing the signals, it's about them realizing she didn't call me back 
Maybe it has nothing to do with me. Maybe she's dating another person online and then they just made it official. Or like, you know, maybe it's something Mm. circumstantial. So I think that they're just kind of going into, I mean, I would need to do more work to kind of investigate this, but my hunch is that they've just adopted a healthier attitude rather than just like trying to read into it more to figure out, well, was it something about me that ended the relationship? So it sounds like they could be picking up on the cues about a second date or not wanting to continue, but they're not internalizing it. They're not saying this is something to do with me as a person. And women tend to internalize more. Right. How do you understand or what do you hypothesize about the reasons behind why women might take it more personally versus why men don't take it as personally? I just think that um, a lot of times there's like, I mean, everyone has this need for affiliation, right? But um, with with women, um, generally, and I'm speaking in, in general terms here, this is not true for every single person, but there's kind of like that greater push to like form communities and like want to really like attach to another person. Whereas, um, you know, men might not have that as much. So they can, there might be they might be able to take a step back and realize it's circumstantial. Like it's not necessarily something about me and the connection that I may have formed or did not form with that person. I think research has shown that it's kind of true across the board for different things with men versus women, like things at work or things Mm -hmm. going poorly. Like men tend to blame environment Mm -hmm. and women tend to blame themselves. Of course, not true for everyone, but that this is something that seems right. I think speaks to your kind of sense of the, the social, pressure but also the way that we're socialized yeah well that's what i was thinking a lot of this you know when we think about men and our culture vulnerability is socialized out of them Mm -hmm. right right so it would you know in, in in a sense it's like to long for affiliation to long for community to long for attachment is vulnerable right right and if you if that's been socialized out of you then of course it makes sense that it would be like it would feel too vulnerable to even think of taking it personally because that would be then uh, you know recognizing that you have longing or or right you know. which in a way could be problematic and like down the road in a relationship might become an issue however it's almost like a protective strategy that is kind of like operating at this like subconscious level that's just making the process easier and probably more enjoyable because if you kind of it's almost like the people when they're online dating that put all of their eggs into one basket where it's just like i'm going to talk to this person like this is a person this is it i can really like i know this is my soulmate and they go out you know on a date and it just for whatever reason it's that transition from like on paper or on the screen to in real life it just doesn't work for them and it's kind of it fizzles out that could be heartbreaking. Yeah. So kind of as a way to prevent burnout, it sounds like this could be a really good strategy and way of of being able not to personalize it so that you become heartbroken every single time you go on a date and it doesn't Easier work out. Easier said than done, but 100%. <laughs> I mean, just to tell like a quick personal story, um, this was actually right before I started dating my husband. And... Um, I actually think we started exchanging our first emails like around the time when I when I got this call. But I was I was talking to someone on this online dating site and this was like circumstantial. I was like going away for two weeks because I like to just, you know, like I said before, couple of exchanges and let's meet in person. But I was gonna be away, so we were just like kind of texting or something. And we had had a date set up for like three weeks ahead. Like, you know, when I was gonna be back and when he was free, we're gonna go out. And um, he wound up texting me saying like, you know, I'm gonna cancel the date, but can I call you and and speak to you. And I'm like, okay. And this was like, you know, what's going on here? And he said, you know, um, 
I, I really, you know, from our exchanges, like you seem like an awesome person and I really wanted to meet you, but I have to be completely honest. I am dating another person and she just wanted to like, she just asked me if we can define the relationship and like, we're like several dates in, but I'm going to give it a go with her. But I just wanted to wish you the best of luck. Wow. And I was just like, I was on the phone. Yeah. I was like, good luck to you. I hope things work out. Like you're an amazing person. She's very lucky to have found you because I was just like, that was one of the best phone calls. And it's yeah. interesting because in a way it's like, it's not really a rejection, but it could be taken that way by, you know, and I was probably a little upset at the time, but I'm like, thank you. Like, thank you for your honesty. Yeah. And it makes sense. And I, I know why, like, I know why. It also left the door open a little bit. It's <laughs> true. If things didn't work out with this other person like, and you're still, still single, like you've had a really good sweet positive, interaction, yeah. positive interaction. Yeah. But we were just talking about actually in our in a recent podcast around rejection and how do you reject someone or how do you break up with someone that can kind of um, doesn't have to be so painful. And I, I think like you really kind of speak to this point around like if you're authentic, if you're honest and you're respectful, it actually can be a really wonderful experience. Yeah, it can yeah. be really not only refreshing, but like both of you are kind of in your integrity and there's something really um, freeing about that. Yeah, I actually put up this quote and I can't remember it off the top of my head. It was something that I came up with about closure and like this elusive thing that we call closure. And, um, you know, we look for explanations for things. We need to make these attributions. And if we don't get those explanations for someone's behavior, we're going to form our own because like we need to be able to explain it. And like sometimes, you know, we can feel like there is closure, but like what is it really? Sometimes that leads to even more questions. But we like we want to we have this natural curiosity about why people are behaving another way. And then the more information that you can give, as you say, that's just authentic, it's doing a great service to other people. Yeah. So like no more ghosting. Like <laughs> make no that more up. ghosting. Yeah. The hard one is, is when it is personal mm -hmm. and not in a, in a kind of mean or ill-intentioned way, but that there isn't a connection right, or, right. or you're not that interested in the person romantically, or maybe you don't share enough interests and how specific to get with that. Right. Especially if they're really feeling the connection, like if they're just like, yeah. everything is perfect and they just don't understand, well, why is this not matching up? Can I trust my intuition? Yes. What's going on? Right. Yeah. And I think that's dangerous because that's when like the experience makes you question yourself. Yeah. So some of that is not necessarily the responsibility of the person who's ending it. Right. I right. mean, they can just say, you know, listen, I really enjoyed it, but I, I don't feel the connection. And even though it might lead the other person to feel anxious, it doesn't necessarily mean the other person has to take care of everything. It also right, is the right. job of the person on the other end to say, yeah, you know, like these things happen. I might like someone, someone may not like me. And like, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That doesn't mean that I'm never going to find someone who's not going to appreciate me. Oh, completely. And that's having good boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that also like involves a lot of like self-awareness mm -hmm. and just self-reflection too, which is, you know, again, it's it's the process of getting out there and dating and especially like online dating. It requires these like, metacognitive skills about like the way that you think and the way that you behave and um 
some people don't really kind of do that deep dive before just, you know, I want to swipe through and meet as many people as possible. Mm, so what are some of these questions before you deep dive that it would be helpful? Um, I know the non-negotiables yeah, is up there. Yeah, like, <laughs> what, are my, what are my true non-negotiables? Um, and I think in terms of like both like now and the future, but I also think about like, you know, understanding like who you are and how you want to grow. Um, you know, kind of like looking at like your own trajectory in life. Uh, is it important for you to like have a family? Is it important for you to always be career focused? Do you want like a balance? What do you think about things for uh, those of us who are in heterosexual relationships about like gender norms? Um, and you know, like things like when it comes to, you know, managing a household, just kind of like understanding yourself better. Um, political views are important because that affects also your value system. Religion. Um, yep religion yeah. or lack thereof in spirituality right. um and just kind of like your maturity level too i'm curious if there are if there's been any research done about the differences between different age groups and dating i mean i don't know how that goes along with like online dating too. And like now you have like a lot of people who I've met people at some of my talks where, you know, um, either they lost their spouse or they're divorced and they're re-entering the dating field after 20, 30, maybe even 40 years of having not dated. And it's just like a completely new landscape that they're apprehensive about. So, I mean, across the board, like everyone's kind of like accessing online dating, but, um, credit where credit is due. There's all this like, um, not stigma, but like there's all these like preconceived notions like about millennials and um, millennials and, and like the, with the younger cohorts, the younger cohorts, they are waiting longer to get married, but that also is how like society has changed to and societal pressures, but they're waiting longer to get married. Um, they are pursuing education, especially females are pursuing higher education. And because of that, that's kind of changing um, the nature of the relationships as well, because people have a much better sense of self prior to getting involved with another person, which is likely to make the relationship more successful because you know what you want from it. Mm. Can you say more about how women being more educated is affecting dating and affecting relationships? So uh, it's it definitely is affecting relationships, and that comes back to like whether or not there's like gender, like the gender norms for your relationship as well. Um, you know, a woman who is likely to pursue a higher degree and focus on her career might be someone who is not likely to stay in the home and or want to be home, like, uh, you know. Be, be in the home full time. So it, now you might have like dual uh, income families. So that's also going to change like the structure of the relationship. Um, and also it's interesting. There was actually this really great book called Datanomics by, I believe, John Berger. And it looks at the lopsidedness in terms of ratios for males and females who are college educated. And in fact, in many urban cities, there are more college educated, college or higher educated females than there are college educated males. So because of that, it's kind of like, um, 
the like it's more women vying for fewer men and in that case it's almost like men's preferences dictate the way that dating is going to be so he actually has like statistics so like um places in new york especially if you look for like young like finance like around like Murray Hill kind of area. Um, you have far fewer college educated men, so many women, you're likely to see more things like hookups and short term dating strategies that men are dictating. Yes, because they're like the hot commodity essentially. Whereas if you go, um, somewhere like Silicon Valley, where you have so many more men than women, it's women who are the ones that are being vied for. And, um, they are, the women are the ones who are dictating the dating strategies. So you're going to see more people employing more longer-term strategies, traditional courtship, and dating. Interesting. Wow, that's wow. fascinating. And actually, the um, the best place, so I'm not suggesting that people should up and move, but one of the best places to meet educated men and to have um, long, more long-term dating strategies and more marriages is in Vegas. Oh, Why Vegas? Well, yeah. It's totally contrary to that whole like Sin City nightlife. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> and it turns out that it's because of like all of the people that are involved with like gaming, like the gaming industry okay. there. It's like a really booming, uh, you know, statisticians and, and like very, like a lot of college educated professional men go and settle there. Hmm. So there's disproportionately more men. Mm -hmm. So women hold the power. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Is it men or educated men? Educated men. College educated men. College educated men. So Vegas, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I met my husband in San Francisco. Ah. There's a reason for that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you've done a lot of presentations. Mm -hmm. You've done, you teach, you also teach college age students. So mm-hmm. you have exposure to a lot of people. Um, and I'm and, and talking about the subject of dating, online dating to a lot of people. I'm curious what are what are people most curious about? Relationships falling apart. Relationships falling yes, apart. Yes, it's, okay. it's interesting. Um, I do talks pretty much. I designed a class called Attachment and Attraction, the Science of Relationships. So I go all the way from like, you know, early attachment of children to their primary caregiver through, um, and this is also like what my book is kind of, it's almost like a summary of my class in a way. Mm. But What's uh, the title of your book? From First Kiss to Forever, A Scientific Approach to Love. Mm. And uh, it kind of goes through finding a partner, factors of interpersonal attraction, to things like infidelity and divorce, to marriage, improving communication, and then bereavement. So I kind of cover in the class and the book the entire span of relationships. And um, I draw my lectures, and I do like things um, on pop culture, like I do, you know, Seinfeld and relationships, and it's actually a lot of fun relationship advice embedded into that show. Um, and I do, you know, the interpersonal attraction and the online dating, and whenever I do something about relationships falling apart or like the process of uncoupling, those talks sell out the fastest. 
The people seem the most engaged. And um, on two separate occasions, I've actually had people who um, one full on started crying, the other one started tearing up. And I was like, uh oh. And I wasn't quite sure because it was a large room. Like, what do I do? And just that person caught my eye, both, well, two separate people, but they caught my eye. And at the end, they came rushing up to me. And I was just like, I'm so sorry. Like, what happened? And they were just like, no. Like, that spoke to me and what I went through in my relationship. And I was just so happy to just like hear that it's not just like me in my head. Like, this is an actual process. This is something that's going on. And I, I also think that, um, it's very rich kind of talking about how relationships fall apart because it's something that's so personal to us, but it could kind of give us information for what we can do to safeguard our relationships, to prevent the demise. So why do relationships fall apart? Um, well, it's a big, it's a, maybe that's another podcast, but I'm curious like, what really um, resonated for those, you know, like what resonated for those people who came up to you and had been really touched by what you shared. So I feel like, and I believe it was John Gottman that had a quote somewhere along these lines, that the common misconception in relationships is that they're more likely to end by fire rather than ice. So it's something along those lines. And um, most people think of relationships ending because of like a big blowout fight or like infidelity or something that kind of like changes the nature of the relationship. And it's really this ice where it's just kind of like the gradual drifting away of partners, kind of like a breakdown in that attachment bond and a breakdown in the communication system. Mm. And I think that um, we've all had at some point, you know, a relationship, even if it's a friendship where something like that happened and it just kind of changed change the course of the relationship and you were never able to get it back and maybe that resonates with people so much because something like infidelity or like uh, you know someone who breaches some sort of aspect of the relationship one of the rules of the relationship you can say that was why it ended here it's giving people that validation of like yeah it did end because you just kind of did grow apart and that's okay right so how do you safeguard that slow drifting i think communication is really really key i mean there's we can't completely safeguard anything i wish we could and that's something i think we need to like manage our expectations when we come when we think about relationships because relationships change largely because individual people change like we grow we change over time and that individual growth is likely to lead to growth in the relationship and hopefully grow together rather than grow apart but being open and honest in your communication throughout the course of your relationship is something that can really really help people because it kind of clues the partner into you know, I am changing. My beliefs are changing. The nature of the relationship is changing. Let's figure out how we can grow together. Yeah, I think the power of communication is so important, but I also feel like the impulse to make a point around, like there's this real pressure that the measure of success in relationships is if you stay together mm -hmm. and that breaking up isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. That, that sometimes we do grow in different ways and that you can have a 10 year relationship and end it and that be a beautiful thing. Right. And, and that you can find another relationship and have another 10 year relationship or have a one year relationship and that the, the time isn't necessarily like the best the more the better the better is just not necessarily right. always going to be true yeah and i think that a lot of times too there's just so much pain around the the 
you know, the ending of the relationship, right. that it's kind of hard to see it at that time. Right. But then hopefully when you get some distance from it right. and some more space and time, right. then you realize that this relationship was valuable to right. me and helped me grow as right. a person. Right. And and to decouple the feeling of failure, like that you can have pain around the loss and around whatever happened in the relationship, but that you don't have to add this additional kind of piece around shame and failure that you couldn't make a relationship right. work forever. Right. Right. Because every relationship will teach you something. Yes. Yeah. 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 So do you have any final pieces of advice for people going through this process and kind of figuring out these murky waters? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess going through the dating process is just be true to yourself. Do what feels comfortable. Don't put yourself in a position where you feel like you don't want to be in. Um, and as far as like the relationship, you know, represent, like I was saying, who you truly are in that relationship. And then once it kind of takes off, be open and honest about your needs and be receptive to hearing the needs of that other person because communication is just so important. And where can people find you? So you can find me on my website. It's www.marissatcohen.com. And that's Marissa with one S. And it has all my contact information, all my social handles, information about my book, my upcoming talks, and um, reach out. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time. Mm-hmm.